The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon everyone and welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods and I'm really excited about our show today. Um, We have uh, a wonderful guest who has written probably one of the premier books on um, families and addiction, and I think this goes for other families as well. Her book was Codependent No More, and our guest today is Melody Beatty. Um, she's written um, a host of, of other books, but I think Codependent No More is probably the one that um, I know as an addiction professional really resonated with me when it first came out. Um, when we were just beginning to learn about the how addiction affects families and people in families, and I think that your book was really groundbreaking, so thank you for writing it, and it's been 25 years, believe it or not, since you wrote the book, so um, thank you for being a guest, Melody. Thank you for having me. It's um, I, This is our first time together on the air, isn't it? Yes, it is. It oh, is. That's yep. good. Um, you know, I wrote that book, I really was at a place in my writing career, because I worked for the newspaper where I had decided that if I'm going to write a book, I'm going to write it because I have a passion to say what I want to say, not because I think I'm going to make any particular amount of money off of it or it's going to sell any particular amount of copies. So I really believe that the book might sell 900 copies, but I thought it would probably reach people who were at what I call gun-to-the-head time, like I was when um, codependency hit me. And we didn't have a name for it yet, and we didn't know what was wrong, and we thought we were going crazy, and that it was our fault, and the other person was more than, you know, they were happy to let us think that way. Right, right. And we just, we didn't know what to do, not know what to do to change. And all the material out there, well, actually, when that book came out, I don't even think we had self-help shelves at that time. And uh, it People were excited. They were so excited to identify themselves as codependent or have a label for this. And just to show you how far the pendulum swings. Now, that book still is a backlist bestseller. I mean, selling an enormous amount every month. I tend to take it for granted that everyone, you know, knows about codependency and knows about taking care of themselves. It's not true. That same fire that we discovered so long ago, people, every month, five to 10,000 new people are discovering that fire in their lives, you know, about learning to love themselves and learning to look at relationships a different way. Well, you know, I think it's, um, you know, it's it's amazing, I think, when, um, when somebody can be able to take their own experience and then um, write about it in a way that other people can identify with it. Um, I think that the whole concept of being codependent over the last 25 years um, has been something that has gone from being um, everybody's codependent to um, interdependency. And, um, and I think that our whole idea of ourselves has, has changed as, as an identity. I think there's been a lot of information about um, when we're in um, unhealthy relationships you know, we, we begin to think that we're the problem when we don't understand that it's the relationship that's the problem. Right, and the relationship is a symptom of the problem. Are you there? Yes, I am. And I think sometimes we just, 
some of us are just conditioned to settle for less. Right. Um, well, I'm I'm seeing a change in the generations. I mean, the the one generation feels deprived and undeserving, and the next one down feels overly entitled. <laughs> but underneath, it's the same essential problems. I what I see happening is that a lot of people have forgotten about the word, word codependency, or there's been somewhat of a stigma attached to it. But the the basic behaviors have become mainstreamed in, as individual behaviors into our society. We truly have gone through a paradigm shift. We have, and I and I think that um, the whole idea of of learning about who you are through your own um, evolution, as opposed to who you're attached to, in my generation, it was about who you were attached to that identified who you were. Mm-hmm. And I think in this generation, um, people seem to have more of a sense of themselves in some respects. And I don't more see freedom. young women having to go out and um, feel like they have to be, you know, queen of the prom or have to have someone attached to them in order to feel good about being a young woman. Right. I mean, it's perfectly fine to go out to dinner by ourselves, to go to a movie by ourselves. Uh, we don't have to be sitting there longing desperately for someone else to make us whole and complete. Um, but on the other hand, the message hasn't reached everyone yet. And, and that's, you know, I, I tend to forget that. I tend to think, well, everyone knows about this. You know, this is old hat. And it's not true. Well, just in case there's anybody listening who doesn't understand what codependency is, could you define it for us? No, I don't even know what it means. (laughs) That's been the hardest, you know, that is the worst word in our language. I mean, it means nothing. It really is just kind of the word that's stuck. You know, most words, even the sound of them and the feeling of them describe something specific but I don't think we've really settled on what codependency means yet because a lot of the behaviors we associate with codependency are completely normal behaviors. I mean, it's normal to worry about someone we love. Um, if our 16-year-old daughter is smoking crack, we'd be, there'd be something wrong if we weren't worried. Right. So that's a normal behavior. It's a normal behavior to want our child not to do that. But there's a line between when we are so focused on the other person that we have no sense of our own behaviors, um, and we have no we have no frame of reference that what we're doing isn't helping. In fact, it's hurting the other person and ourselves. There's this line we cross. You can have two people doing exactly the same behavior, and in one person it's he- it's healthy, and in the other person it's not. It's it's truly um, it's truly a situation where it's an inside job. What are our motivations? Why are we doing what we're doing? Are we doing it out of guilt, obligation, fear, or are we making choices about what we want to do and taking responsibility for the choices we make? You know, I think it's really interesting. In in your book, you talk about teachers along the way, and um, you know, sometimes I think we we underestimate the value of um, who our teachers are or who, who our teachers were at the time that we were um, growing into maturity. Right. That that alcoholic husband you're married to is going to teach you a whole lot more if you open up to learn than I will. He's going to be your teacher about letting go. He's going to be a teacher about you developing your own self-esteem. Um, teaching doesn't always come in the form of, uh, you know, a woman with a suit on and a, a pointer in her hand and a blackboard. And a PowerPoint. Uh, and the other problem I see, I mean, I almost see that it's gone too far, is people keep looking for rules. They want the rules. And we'll be right back to talk with Melody more about um, the 25th anniversary of codependence know more and if you have any questions feel free to give us a call we'll be right back you're listening to voice america health and wellness 
Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, You're everyone. Listening. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Melody Beatty. And as most of you know, she's the author of Codependent No More, which, believe it or not, is 25 years old, um, which makes me feel old. Um, before going to break, we were talking about what codependency is, and Melody was sharing with us that it's really hard to define, and it's really based on situations and someone's um, internal motivation. And... When during break we were talking, and uh, we would like to talk with all of you about um, what are the rules in terms of Melody was saying how everybody wants rules to live by, and um, we thought we'd pick up our discussion with that. So Melody, yeah, I I, um, I don't do a lot of um, publicity, and I I don't go out on the road to speak. I'm a writer. I love writing, and I'm not a guru. I'm none of those things. I'm just a writer who had a passion to write about this subject, but I am constantly barraged with the media by, oh, okay, so for what are the rules for taking care of yourself? Um, or you go to a group, um, any, any, any kind of a codependency re- recovery group. And very often the groups are be- being, being led and directed by so many rules that all that's happened is we've created another dysfunctional family situation. And I'd like to, you know, what is the real purpose of recovery? And that is to learn to trust ourselves. Not to listen to what I say to do. I can't tell you what to do in the situation you're in. You're the one who knows. You're the, no- you're the only one who knows what you want. I, I only have two rules, and those are, don't hurt anyone else and don't hurt yourself. I mean, and going along with that comes don't let anyone else hurt you. And I'm talking about physical abuse. So other than that, there aren't any. As I said, you can have two people in exactly the same circumstance doing exactly the same behavior. One of them is healthy, one's not. What makes the difference? What's inside their heart. Why they're doing what they're doing. 
And I think that that's such a hard concept because people are looking for a magic bullet or people are looking for a blueprint. And um, I think for most of us, the fact that we have to look at ourselves and do internal work, um, most of us want to do anything but that. We're, We're looking for, I guess for lack of better words, an easier, softer way. The either that or the rules. Just give me the rules and I'll follow them. So I can. And I don't have to think. It's and almost, I don't have to feel. I like to call it being therapeutically correct. That's um, a good one. Being therapeutically correct. People want to behave therapeutically correct. It's it's like being politically correct. Only right. it's in therapy with the jargon. Tell me what to do. So I'm not doing this wrong. Or I'm not doing that wrong. Or I'm not doing this right. Well, we can't do that. We can't look into another person's heart. And the real purpose, the goal of recovery is, first of all, to know that we're real, and second, to trust ourselves, to begin to get in touch with ourselves, what we feel, what we like, what we want to do, and what's right for us. And nobody else can tell us that. And we're, we're, we're the only one that has those answers. Right. Now, there's a way to find those answers that will never let let anyone down, but sadly, um, I see very few people who identify as codependents using that way, and that is the 12 steps. Um, you'll see alcoholics get into a program of recovery, and they, you know, they'll work the steps as if their life depended on it, because it does. And in some cases, that's a myth. My dad <laughs> was just an incurable alcoholic and he lived to be like 83 and when he died my mom hadn't seen him in 40 50 years i said did you know my father died and she said i told him that drinking would kill him someday (laughs) (laughs) so uh it's not even true that that the alcoholism i mean eventually we're all going to die and uh he lived to be 83 years old but what's even worse is being among the living dead. Right. And that's what happens with codependency. Um, we lose our zest for life. We lose our passion for life. We no longer enjoy being alive. We're, you know, trying to keep this person happy over here, this person happy over there, not step on any toes here, not rock the boat there, and we're certainly not going to say how we really feel. And, and we're going around in circles trying to please everybody. Right. You know? And uh, one of the, I think one of the most challenging things for me in my recovery was learning to open up and say what I really wanted to say. And that doesn't mean we're tactless, and that doesn't mean we're rude. Um, we can be diplomatic, but just learning to be who we are and, and know that it's okay. And to trust that inner voice um, that... So often we're hearing, but we ignore to to belong or to be part of something or just to please someone so that somebody will say, oh, you did a good job, or thank you for yeah, your... Or we might not that. even like someone, and yet we feel guilty about it. We feel guilty about not liking them, so we continue a relationship or a friendship with them because we don't want to hurt their feelings. And we're miserable the whole time, but we don't really know it because we felt miserable all our life. Right. And and there, there there is a difference. There's some people, and I'm slowly coming over to that side, who believe that many people begin drinking to self-medicate the feelings that come with codependency when they're, you know, young people at home, which is often when the codependent behaviors are created. And they're created as a response to loss and abnormal or painful situations, which, you know, most families have at some point in time. I think that when we talk about it being um, kind of an inside job, you know, um, that to me, and you'd mentioned earlier the 12 steps, spirituality um, needs to be a part of, of this recovery and a part of learning to trust that inner voice. Well, and actually working the steps, and I don't mean just going to, I was talking to someone the other day, I said, um, have you worked the steps? And this is a person that's been around Al-Anon for 10 years. Well, no, I haven't really gotten to that yet. So 
how did it start to change? <laughs> you know, where where is the change going to come from? Right. Because it's you know, again, the the the, the the relationship that doesn't work isn't the problem, it's a symptom. And so leaving isn't the cure. Right. Although in some cases we might decide to do that. I'm not saying it's wrong to leave or stay. We can do whatever we want and we don't have to worry about it. We'll know when it's time to leave. It will just happen. It will be right. But um, I don't see people with codependency issues working the steps with the same bigger passion and intensity as recovering alcoholics and addicts do. And um, so they go to the group and they talk about the problem. Well, and I think for a lot of people, they really believe that if if my partner or my family member changes, then everything's going to be okay with me. It's, a, it's all about the other person. It's really not about me. Right. And it's that, all that is is a continuation of the codependency. Because our insides aren't inside anyone else, um, I can attest to that. Because I was, you know, I was one of them. I mean, we're angry. Why we feel like why should I have to go to a group? Why should I have to work? You know, he's the one that's being, or she's the one that's being a jerk. Why should I have to do the work? Well, because you're the one that's who's in pain. You know, for starters, and because it will set you free, and because these steps are wonderful, magical, powerful things. We don't just go through them once. We can use them, you know, I don't know if you've played any video games, but often the main character gets this little bag of tools to work with along the journey, you know, and when he comes across this situation or that, he goes into his bag of tools, and and, and that's what the steps can be in our everyday, in our day-to-day life. I don't think there's a situation we encounter that we can't use a step to help us get out of it and find the solution. Um, it really is a way make, of life. If we make even the slightest move towards a step, it will take ten giant steps towards us. You know, that's, it's, the steps really are a way of life for people, and um, I think that for a lot of folks who, who get involved, who come from either an alcoholic home or, or, or a home that's had a lot of stress and loss, that um, they get into these relationships. And, you know, the first part of any relationship is kind of the honeymoon phase, and, and everybody feels good, and you think, oh, wow, this feels a whole lot different than what I know, so this must be the real thing and this must be great. And then once you're involved in the relationship and you begin to see that, oh, wow, I'm attracted to the person, the dysfunctional person in my family, and and, and you think that if you if, if the if the person who's having the problems changes and everything's going to be okay or I'll, or I'll leave him or her but then you just go and you recreate the same thing over and over again with all your other relationships be it at work or your partner or um you know the mailman or whoever right or we'll go halfway just get in this like, pattern like, of um, relating to people I, I used to make a joke you know my mom went to Al-Anon just long enough to learn that it wasn't her fault uh, right it's very easy to take our recoveries halfway around that circle so that we're not giving anymore, we're not caring anymore, we're not um, making ourselves vulnerable anymore, but that's not recovery either. I think the true recovery comes when we're free to nurture, love, and care about other people and ourselves when we're free to say what's on our mind. I mean, boundaries don't have to be this big ordeal. We just quietly know what's right for us and what's not. And we take the steps that we need to take. But it takes practice. It takes practice. It's really hard in the beginning to start opening up our mouths and saying what we want, what we don't want. And then people say, well, it didn't change the other person. Well, boundaries aren't supposed to. That's right. control. Right. Boundaries are for us. And sometimes we might have to get creative. Or just begin to realize that what a relief it is when you actually say what you mean and enjoy it's that feeling of just letting go and, and being true to yourself. 
And we'll be right back after this commercial with Melody. If you have any questions, please give us a call. To Voice America Health and Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260 day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Melody Beattie, who wrote Codependent No More, and more recently has written The New Codependency, as well as Gratitude and The Grief Club. Um, During the break, we have these great conversations while all of you are listening to the commercial. um, Just to stand up for myself, I'm telling you, we shouldn't be talking. We should be saving it for you guys. (laughs) So this is what we were talking about. I was sharing that... um, I know someone very close to me who um, was seven years old when their father, when they were, they had an accident and said to their father, if you stop drinking, God will heal my leg. And the family, um, when, when the next sibling was born, the family, nobody would really address the fact that um, dad was an alcoholic. Dad would say he was an alcoholic, but nobody else around the family would even d- discuss it. And that need to, the denial, the need to be, um, we have to present as a perfect family. Um, there's so many things that go into um, into this whole issue of, of self-esteem and being true to yourself. It's really hard to be true to yourself when you see something and people around you are saying, no, you really don't see that. Actually, low self-esteem is a survival device. It's a way of taking care of ourselves. Because if we're a little person and if we're in a family and all these things, bad, painful things are happening randomly and nobody's telling the truth, we have two choices. We can either believe we live in a random world with no sense of cause and effect or we could say, okay, this is happening because there's something wrong with me. And in a way, that gives us all a sense of control. And I don't mean the bad kind of control, but we all need to feel some sense of control in our lives. You know, that there's, right. there's 
you know, that there are universal laws that work, even though, you know, anything can happen to anyone at any given moment in time. But there are still um, universal laws, and if we follow them, um, things work better. Well, in some ways that makes a lot of sense because if there's something wrong with me, then there's some safety in that, that it's not just some random act of the universe that I have to be afraid of all the time. It's just it's Right. Just it gives us a sense of control, and it helps us feel safe. And like I, like I was saying during the break, um, when I wrote Cody Pettit No More, I have a chapter in that book about grief and loss. And... If you would have asked me then what percentage of codependency is due to grief, unresolved grief, I would have said, oh, 10%. And now I'd say probably 90%. We freeze. We freeze at the denial point. I also, although I absolutely adore and admire the late Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who identified the five stages of um, death and dying Mm -hmm. that then became known as the stages of grief, there are two stages of grief that were left out of that, and one is obsessing, and the other one is feeling guilty. We all feel like somehow we caused whatever it is that happened. And obsession isn't always a bad thing. We need to tell our story. We need to tell our story and speak up and tell it sometimes over and over and over and over again until it can become real to us. You know, that's how we integrate things into our lives, take them from outside of ourselves or just up in our head and let it drop down into our heart and really become a part of us. I was riding in a car with my daughter one night. We were in in California on a small road, and (laughs) the guy in the car in front of us hit a cat. I mean, the cat literally hit his windshield and flew through the air onto the side of the road. And the guy just kept driving. And my, my, my daughter tends to be outspoken at times. So she hurried up and she blocked his, his being. It was a, it was a 25-mile-an-hour road. She blocked him and she said, what are you going to do about that cat? And he said, what cat? She just couldn't get it. She said, how, how, how can he say that? How can he say, what cat? He said, we saw the cat. We heard the cat. We watched the cat fly through the air. Okay, and to you animal lovers, I love cats. I adore cats. And I, I don't think it was funny that the, the cat was hit. But the point is, um, the denial, denial is a good, can be a good friend. Until we have the resources to deal with whatever is going on, to deal with the pain, and when we're little people, we don't have that. It's too overwhelming. I went back to my high school um, about 10 years ago, and I had destroyed every picture of myself from my teenage years and childhood years, and the principal thought he was doing me a favor, and he found the one remaining one, and when I got on stage to talk, here he had a picture of the me you know, the, the the person I had left behind all these years. And it started a process of, because life is really the best therapist we have. It will bring us everything we need. And it started this healing, this letting go of all of the feelings. And I didn't know what was going on at first because I was in... I didn't, it, it, it was so thick, it was so heavy, and it had, you know, um, uh, edges of suicidal thoughts, ideation to it. I mean, I, I knew I was going to commit suicide, but it was just, and I realized that that's how I had felt as a child the whole time I was growing up. And I went, you know what, when I started drinking at age 12, it probably saved my life because this is what I was medicating. I could hardly handle it 10 years ago with all this recovery under my belt. There was no way I could have handled all those emotions as a child. And, you know, um, when we think about um, the very few coping skills that, that people actually get as children, you know, um, you know, everybody's given a trophy when they play soccer. Everybody's given a trophy when they play um, baseball. And there's this whole... We all have to be equal when 
that's not true. And and kids grow up and they find out like, oh, I'm not going to get the trophy or I'm not going to get the best job. You know, I think that there's there's so few skills to be able to be that we get to it's a, it all goes back to that listening to our own voice. Yeah. You know, we might never get married. It might not be right for us. We don't have to get married and be in this, you know, married by age 27, two and a half children. I don't know how I have 2.2 children, but um, by age whatever. And then, you know, and that's that's a pattern set out. And that was set out for very specific reasons. It was set out when women couldn't go out and work and they needed a husband to take care of them. Uh, we don't live in that kind of a world anymore, although for some people it still is. Right. You know, this whole concept of grief I think is really interesting because I think sometimes grief is intergenerational. I think whether something happened two or three generations back, um, the Absolutely. The There's been one generation the of misery right after another. Yeah. With nobody dealing with their pain. Right. Right. Or in some cases, they just drink their pain away from one generation to the next. Right. Right. You have either, you know, your, your codependents or your, you know, alcoholics. But, it, I mean, it is genetically inside of us. And, you know, you hear so many people say, well, um, you can't love anyone else until you love yourself. Sometimes that's not true. Sometimes we have to love our parents before we can love ourselves. Or we have to go back even further than that. One of the best exercises that I ever did was when a therapist had me make a family tree. I'd, I had never met my grand. I had barely knew my dad, and I didn't know anything about my grandfather or grandmother on his side. I didn't know anything about any of my family, and frankly, I didn't want to. And she said, something is going to happen to you halfway through this process. I thought, yeah, right. And I didn't even know where to start, but I went in www.ancestry.com and I started putting some pieces together. And it was when I saw my dad's grandmother who was raising him because his mom had, I don't know, I think there's some story about her being drunk and dying very young. And then I saw that my grandmother or great she'd be my great grandmother was raising her daughter's two children my dad and his sister all alone because her husband was in prison i mean and that's that's a family that's passing down the pain right and i i don't know i when i her name is annie great grandma annie and i just started bawling like a baby and I opened up my heart, and it's actually physics. I mean, we've got the DNA of the generations before us in it, for good, for bad, for worse, for better, whatever. Uh, but we still have the freedom to create our own legacy and to create our own lives. And it seems like forgiveness is a big part of letting go as well. At the right time. At the right time, it is. We need to feel our feelings. We also need to forgive, too. Um, uh, and that doesn't mean forgiving doesn't mean we have to let people hurt us if they've been hurting us. But we need to make some peace with what is and with our ancestors, or we're not going to be able to love ourselves because if we hate them, we're going to hate ourselves because they're inside of us. A piece of their DNA is in and we spend so much energy being angry and feeling wrong. That's a, that's hard work. It's a, it's easier to. to Can I tell you a story about a sponsor it. that I no longer have? Yeah. Um, she uh, insisted that I had not become angry enough at all the injustices done to me throughout my life. And so she said, "I want you to sit down and just meditate on how angry you really are about being treated that way." So, and this was after I had been to Tibet a couple times, and so I put on a, the tape of Tibet monks chanting and uh, sitting on the floor with my knees, legs crossed, and just still and quiet, and you know, trying try, trying to work up some anger that just plain wasn't there, and all of a sudden, this white light 
surrounded me, and I saw that everything that happened in my life was perfect. And that's a tremendous gift. And we'll be right back with um, Melody to talk more about this and other things. Um, Give us a call. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Melody Beattie. And um, before we go, one of the things I, it's kind of like a bee in my bonnet, is like I will often be around folks who are in recovery or um, who are addiction professionals and hear someone say, oh, that's just so codependent or you're so codependent, and it's an accusatory kind of put down. And I think that that was not the spirit in which you wrote the book um, any of your books on codependency. So not, not at all. There point. was no judgment in there. That was right. a book of empowering people. And I, I, don't, I frankly don't like it when people do that. Um, it's in essence saying that, you know, like I was saying about obsession, sometimes we need to obsess. We need to tell our story over and over again, and it's getting harder and harder to find someone to listen. That's right. Um we need to empower people. We need to let them be who they are. But this whole slamming people with, oh, you're a codependent, you know, I don't like the word either, but I can't help it. It's stuck. I didn't make it. I didn't, I didn't discover the word. Yeah. I just tried to figure out what I needed to do to heal and made a decision. If I, if I ever found that, um, I would share it with others. I was working for the newspaper then. Uh, and... Once we ask the question, it's really the universe's way of saying, I'm about to bring you the answer. Right. Well, and I think, too, that people use it in a way that, um, that it means one thing. She's codependent. He's codependent. I've seen people on television talk about, well, so-and-so is just extremely codependent. And it's like... Very derogatory. Well, it's derogatory, but but they mean it in a way that, you know, as you said, it's situational, and you don't know what's in someone's heart. So it, I think it's pejorative in some some cases. 
Right. And on the other hand, sometimes we know really clearly that someone is codependent. Right, right. Because, you know, we want to run. You know, a true people pleaser will make us want to run in the other direction. Right, right. Yes, I I have a couple of those people in my life. Um, During the break, I asked you if you were writing another book, and um, you've got a new project that sounded really interesting. And I wondered if you'd share it with the audience. Well, I had made a. I'm I'm a real believer in writing goals. Um, I have so many people come to me, and they they want to know how they can improve their financial situation or do this or that. And I tell them what's worked for me, and they don't do it, and their life doesn't change. But I believe in the power of the written word, and I believe that by sitting down and working on writing out our goals, and we can have as many as we want. First time I did it, I had my whole list, and then it's like I almost heard the angels whisper in my ear and say, okay, now if you could have anything in the world you wanted, and it wouldn't be bad or wrong, now put that on your list. That's when I began to really find out who I was. And I still am a believer in goals, and, um, because it helps us stay in touch with who we are and what we want and what we don't want and where we want to go. It's like knowing where we want to go when we get in the car and, you know, turn the engine on. And now I forgot what the question was. <laughs> uh, your new um, project. Oh, okay. Well, when I set my goals in the beginning about being a writer, um, I was very specific in writing my goals, which I believe we should be. And I don't think we should share them with other people, when, when, you know, when we write them because we don't want their energy tainting them. Uh, put them in a sacred place that only we can see. I don't believe we need to be get up every day and monitor them and watch our progress. We write our goals and we let go and let God. And it was my goal to begin by writing for a newspaper. And um, I didn't even think that much about writing books, but I knew I wanted to be a journalist. And the book thing kind of kind of found me. But I knew that at the end, towards you know later on in life, I wanted to write place. And then my my son Shane was killed in a ski accident uh, right around his 12th birthday. And I was so blown out with grief. I I couldn't read. That side of my brain didn't work. But I got my healing from watching movies, from from having good stories. You know, like a little kid says, you know, tell me that story again, Mom. Read me yeah. this book. Read me this book. Tell me this story again one more time. As adults, that's our way of being told a story, where we can just sit back and listen. And I love movies. Um, they, they were a huge part of helping me begin to function again after losing Shane. And But it's a different craft, and it's a different art, and it takes different skills than writing books. Each form of writing has its own venue. And so that's my goal now. That doesn't mean I'll never write another book again. Um, In my blog, Living in the Mystery, I uh, talk about a lot of things that were nearly my put, say, in a meditation book or another book. I'm working on the subject of how to stand up for yourselves when the rest of the world wants you to sit down and be quiet right now because it seems like we're in a time when a lot of Stores and people are more than happy to rip us off and keep the money. And uh, we do have to put more energy into standing up for ourselves and learning how to do that in a way that's productive. You had mentioned that you wanted to say something about the name of the show, One Hour at a Time. I, I, I do, and it goes along with the name of my blog, Living in the Mystery. And it's about the program. You know, we hear Living a Day at a Time over and over and over. But when I first got into, or after I was in recovery from codependency for a while, I realized that we can live a day at a time, but spend that whole day waiting for tomorrow to get here. And we're kind of missing the point. And the whole, the two two critical aspects of recovery One of them is learning to trust ourselves, and the other is learning to be fully present for who we are and where we are each moment in time. 
and living living a day at a time is just too much. Like I said, we could spend all day today waiting for tomorrow to come and say, well, I just did today today. No, you didn't. You were doing tomorrow. Um, to get back, and it, it was the only way I could get through my grief about losing Shane, was to surrender to however I felt, to whatever what was going on inside of me each moment in time. And when we can do that, suddenly a lot of the dualisms disappear. Uh, a lot of the pain disappears. Impatience doesn't even come into play. How can you be impatient if all there is is right now? Right. And so I really I really like the title of your show. That's oh, what thank I wanted you. to say. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I juggle a lot of things at work, and, and for me it's a coping skill one hour at a time. You know, it's just like I just have this hour. What do I need to do this hour? And it just helps me stay grounded, and um, and it helps me stay focused. So, um, and, and I agree with you. You know, all we have is right now, and what are we going to do with right now? Um, you know, just learning to be in that in, in your own space, in your own body at that moment, and and not you know, ruminating about the past or obsessing about the future or worrying about, you know, 8 o'clock tonight. It's about what, you know, how or can I make now? hoping that tomorrow will be better. Yeah. I mean, real faith isn't hoping that tomorrow will be better. Real faith is trusting that where we are right now is okay. It doesn't mean we have to like it. It doesn't right. mean we have to like where we are right now one single bit. It just means we have to be there for now. Um, you had mentioned your blog. Can you can you give us the name of it again? It's Living in the Mystery. Living in the Mystery. And I'm prone to handle just about anything in there. But um, right now I'm I'm on the subject of, like I said, um, standing up for yourself when the rest of the world wants you to sit down and be quiet. And it, it, that's been on my mind for a long time, that subject. And recently I bought a brand-new dryer. I'm not going to mention the name of the store, but I got a good name dryer from a good name store. It didn't work from the very beginning. I had a new dryer that didn't work for seven months. So I said, okay, I'm going to blog about it. <laughs> three, three, three mornings later, the phone rang at 8 o'clock with the store I bought it from saying, we have a voucher here for a new dryer for you. Wasn't well, that good? So it's you know not only can we take care of ourselves, it's okay to stand up for ourselves too. That's right. That's right. And that what what a great way to um, end the show. So thank you so much, Melody, for spending this hour with us. Um, it's been great. Thank you for having me. Have a good week, everybody. Bye. And happy Easter and happy Passover. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.